You can either work in the business or you can work on the business. They have the knowledge and the skill to be successful. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow has yet to come. Dive all in on the next chapter of your life. Welcome to the ProServe podcast with Collective 54, a podcast for founders and leaders of boutique professional services firms. For those that are not familiar with us, Collective 54 is the first mastermind community dedicated exclusively and entirely to the boutique professional services space and for those that are looking to grow, scale, and maybe someday exit. My name is Greg Alexander. I'm the lucky guy who founded this place, and I'll be your host today. And on this episode, we're going to talk about leverage, all kinds of leverage, financial leverage, operating leverage, and how to use process and people and technology to increase the leverage ratio that you have in running your professional services firm. And we've got a fantastic role model, Noah Burke. And Noah is a member of Collective 54, and he's got a lot to share with us on this topic. That's why he was selected for this. So Noah, great to see you. Please introduce yourself to the audience. Thanks for having me here, Greg. Um, My name is Noah Burke. I'm one of the two co-founders of OBL. Uh, we specialize in digitizing sales, marketing, service, and operations for clients using HubSpot, Salesforce, Monday.com. Uh, working with everyone from uh, young venture-backed companies all the way to Fortune 500 firms. Okay, got it. Okay, so this topic of leverage, um, let me let me set it up a little bit. So, a couple people hang a shingle, start a firm. They know something that the rest of the world either doesn't know or doesn't know it as well as them. And they they shake the trees and they generate some referrals and they get their first set of clients. And every time they're doing something, they're doing it for the first time, which means it takes forever and it costs a lot and it's lots of mistakes. And then over time, the firm matures, the quality of the client improves, you start hiring some people, you start training them. And you wake up one day and you say, you know, I want more than a lifestyle business. I've already proven to myself that I don't need a J-O-B and to work for the man. I can work for myself and make a living. But now that I've cleared that hurdle, you know, I want to build a real firm, not a lifestyle business. And what that means is I need leverage. I need to create ways of doing things so everything isn't dependent on me. Other people can do what I can do as well as I can do it. And therefore, it frees me up to do other things to make money. That's what leverage is. And in the professional services space is actually a ratio for this. It's called, surprisingly, the leverage ratio. (laughs) And what it basically says is for every senior person, typically a partner in our world of boutiques, very often, if not almost always, an owner, how many people can they keep busy? So for example, let's say I'm one person and I have 10 people that I'm keeping busy. You know, my book of business is keeping 10 people busy. I have a leverage ratio of 10 to one. And how you create that is the key to, uh, to scaling your firm. And there's lots of ways of doing that. So Noah, let me, let me throw it over to you at, at 30,000 feet, given that definition of sure. leverage. How have you created leverage at OBO? Well, I think it's similar to what we do for our clients. I like to think of it as a force multiplier. 
Um, and to create leverage in a couple of different ways. One is uh, accountability and efficiency inside the organization itself. Uh, so it's having the systems in place to uh, measure work, assign work, and distribute work to individuals. Yeah. Um, two, it's also the type of people we have. So you just mentioned, you know, obviously senior people with perhaps junior people. So in our organization, we have senior people, and then we also have junior individuals. And we spend a lot of time uh, through what we call a residency program, training individuals to be able to take on the type of work necessary. Uh, and, you know, this particular residency program that we have, what's really great about it is that they go through about four months of training. Uh, and this is actually classroom training, several hours a day. Uh, they go through real world examples. They, they take on assignments. Um, and uh, eventually at the end, when they graduate from the residency program, they get assigned to a team that has more experienced individuals on that team. So they're able to leverage uh, those resources. Once they get on the team is how do you organize work in an effective way that your team is, is billable uh, and that you're fully utilizing the team at any given time. That means now you need to have systems in place that you can actually measure work, that you can uh, hold individuals accountable, but also see how work is getting done so you can start creating systems and processes in place that make things easier to do. So I think, Greg, you had mentioned earlier that when you're just a two-person shop, it's, well, it's kind of simple. But when you have 45 people, it gets a little more complicated mm -hmm. uh, because you can't do it all yourself. So you have to have people who you trust in, in a position who can do the work and assign the work and be able to follow through on what they do. Uh, and in this particular case, you know, in, in our organization, it's around process mm -hmm. as much as training, as much as the, the team structure. So we, we work more in a team environment over here at OBS. There's always a junior person and senior people who are working together. So the thing that kills leverage, and let's go there first, in boutique pro-serve firms is two things. Number one, you have senior people who, in theory, cost more doing work that junior people could do. So therefore, that work is expensive or more expensive than it needs to be. And that crushes margins and that ruins leverage and gives you a bad leverage ratio. And that happens all the time. Then you have the opposite of that. You have junior people doing senior work and they don't have the experience for it. And the client gets upset because quality dips and you end up losing revenue. And that's just as bad. Um, you know, if we, if we simplify it to that, and I know it's way more complicated than that, but if we <laughs> simplify it to that for a 15 minute podcast, what does OBO do in the first instance? How do you make sure that senior, more expensive people aren't chewing up their hours on kind of commodity stuff? Well, I think it comes down, we understand what work is quote unquote commodity. Mm. We also understand what work is senior. Um, sometimes what we don't necessarily want to do is miss an opportunity to train or teach our junior employees. So. Mm. Sometimes we do eat some of that time when a junior employee is working with a senior employee, let's say on an integration project or a particular migration project, um, that they're learning in that particular experience where we may not necessarily be billing for their time. We're really billing for the senior person time and the junior person is participating with that individual on it. Um, but no, I think so you're, Sorry to interrupt you, but I actually view that, and I'm sure you do too, that's why you're doing it. I view that as an investment. Like to me, that's a that's a positive strategy, not a negative strategy. Um, so let's stay on that for a moment. Is there ever a situation where that senior person is doing junior work not for the purpose of developing an apprentice? They're doing it anyways. 
Yeah. I mean, in any professional service organization, sometimes that can creep into the mix where they may be doing work that really they shouldn't be necessarily doing themselves or doing it simply because it's either easier, the transfer of knowledge is going to take a while and they'd rather just get it done. Right. Um, And so they're just going to do it. I think in any organization it's human nature to be like, well, I know how to do this. So let me just go ahead and do it. Yep. Versus, well, let me spend a little bit of extra time here, not necessarily building the client for the time, but working with the junior employee to help them get up to speed. Uh, and we try and really, through our four-month residency program, get the team members up to speed on what is that, quote, commodity work. So we're trying to teach them how to learn, try and teach them um, how to fend for themselves and where to get information and knowledge and, and how to grow themselves because you can keep showing them, showing them, showing them, but eventually they have to be able to figure out things on their own. So we hire for a certain degree of curiosity. Huh. Um, everyone in our organization has to be curious. They have to want to learn. They have to want to absorb new information. They also have to be okay with the unknowns. So the unexpected, especially when you're new inside an organization, almost everything's new and you're not comfortable with those situations and experiences. It's very difficult to rise and grow inside a company like ourselves. Uh, so as part of the culture of the organization, have people who want to learn who want to grow. Um, and you are constantly looking for, well, what else can I do to further my own career? And the senior people gravitate towards them because if you're going to teach someone, you want to teach someone who has that thirst for knowledge. Right. I mean, yes, quote part of your job, but it's easier if the other person is really receptive to what you're sharing with them. Now, a four-month residency program, that, that's a big investment, and I love it. Because, yes. Yeah. And <clears throat> most of the pro-serve firms at scale have some version of that. It's a grow-your-own approach. Now, the people that are in the residency program during those four months, are they completely on the bench, no billability at all? On the, yeah, on the bench, no billability. Wow. And so it is a, it's an incredible investment that we make. Um, our program, uh, just to give me an idea of the number of applicants, we'll get anywhere between um, 800 to 1,000 applicants for four open positions. And even then, sometimes we may not even hire full four. That's how exclusive it is to get in. So we're looking for people who have the right aptitude, um, who have that desire to learn, and who've excelled somewhere else. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and, and in our space, it's really difficult to find talent who, well, we're in the technology space. We do technology deployments. Uh, we're, we're HubSpot elite partners. We're Monday.com North American partners a year. We're Salesforce partners. And it's not just how do you implement and how do you take a task, but how do you think through process? Yeah. How do you align people, process, and technology? And that's very difficult to find. It's easy to find a pure dev, we'll say, it's maybe easy to find a pure analyst who can just think people. Um, it's hard to find people who can think through not just what the requirements of an individual are, but how that process should work and flow. And then how will that be translated to technology and how do we implement it? Now, granted, we have special specialists in our organization. So we have uh, individuals who are more project manager roles versus individuals who are individual contributors, all equally valued inside the organization. Um, and individuals can pick their path, but more often than not, they have to have some customer facing ability. And that's a really difficult skill set. It's not something you learn and you kind of have it, but then you also need that technical aptitude as well. Yeah. Now, when we have the Friday, uh, member Q and a, 
I can guarantee you all the questions going to come around this residency program. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's very unique. And uh, so let, let's give them a little taste. So maybe think like, uh, I don't know, a table of contents where you would spell out to me, what are the chapters of this program or the components of this program at a high level? So um, depending upon where and what particular path we're looking for. So sometimes we have needs for more project managers versus individual contributors. Well, how we gear the program. So it took my business partner, Rob, my co-founder, about nine months just to develop the curriculum. So this is a full curriculum um, that each week, every day, they're working on different items. There's guest speakers coming in within the organization who are lecturers. Um, And it's geared towards the different applications we work in. So you're not necessarily, and the reason why it's four months is partly thinking through it, you know, we work with several different technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of our clients have two or more of them. They may have HubSpot and Salesforce. Maybe they have Salesforce on Monday. Maybe they have HubSpot on Monday. Um, and so they have to be able to understand how uh, these technologies work, what's the principles behind them, um, what does a deployment look like, what are the needs of the organization, um, so it kind of walks them through what is the sales organization, what's a marketing organization, what's a customer service organization, how does operations and project management work, um, what does that flow look like in the customer journey process, um, what are the needs of the different individuals on each side, each of those individual departments. So as you can kind of start wow. building on top of one another, it becomes a, it's an entire education um, mm-hmm. that they're getting into the space. By the time they get on the team, they can generally handle about. of the use cases that are thrown at them. Um, But one of the beautiful parts about how we're structured, there's always someone in there who can help them if they get stuck. Your clients, do they know that you put your people through this process? Uh, Sometimes I do talk about it. Um, It's very exclusive. Uh, We have incredibly high retention rate inside the organization, Um, both I think that's due to our culture, our training, our development, and also the people that we tend to hire um, are just brilliant. I mean, yeah. we have brilliant team members over here at OBO. Um, and they like the level and the type of work we do. They like how we structure our work. Um, they like how they get to structure their days and how they get to work on these individual items. And there's, it's always new yeah. uh, for what they're solving. I mean, if I was a prospect and I was considering you and you know 20 other firms that claim they do what you do, and you explain to me that process, I'd be like, damn. I mean, I would view that as a real differentiator and probably pay a premium for it because... I would, the implied quality lift that comes with that is, is very real. How about your technology partners, the Mondays, the HubSpots, the Salesforce, do they know that you put this program uh, together? Yes. Yes. Um, so we're one of HubSpot's half percent of partners worldwide. Uh-huh. Um, we built a reputation inside the community as being uh, the go-to company for, uh, think of their biggest engagements, uh, their more, most complicated engagements. Um, simply because we built a reputation that not only can we get done what we need to get done, but we got the team to be able to do it. Um, and we position ourselves as a really technology company for implementations, whereas most of our competition in that particular space isn't. Mm-hmm. Same thing applies to Monday. Same thing applies to Salesforce. Um, Salesforce, the idea of companies like us is more, I'd say, uh, readily known, uh, whereas in HubSpot on Monday, less so. Um, but the needs and requirements are expanding. Uh, and our clients are not our clients, our partners are aware of our talent. Mm. They know what we're investing and we're making enormous investments. And so our people, um, the training the development, getting them up to speed, 
We're also one of the very few companies who have enough pipeline of talent to be able to actually handle the work coming to us. Mm. Uh, very few companies simply have the skill sets and have the, it's, it's almost like an aptitude inside the organization. Um, and I give a lot of credit to my, my co-founder um, and, and his background uh, being very tech process oriented um, and like to be problem solvers. So um, it's definitely helped us considerably uh, with our partnerships with all three of them uh, because they are aware that we do and we make these investments. Uh, and it's also important for them to know that their partners are making these investments. Yeah. And I would imagine that's why they're throwing you work because they know you're going to get it done. I mean, that's how you win the award, North American Partner of the Year, I would imagine. We pretty much our entire business is via referral. Yeah. Um, from from partners, uh, from traveler clients, as we call them, people finding us uh, through inbound. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a real, it's an awesome thing to have, have uh, just all these opportunities coming our way. But that also means we have to deliver yeah. every single time uh, because our partner's revenue is based on how good are we at what we do. Yeah. And our partners leverage us to help them close more business. Yeah. Uh, we're also known as closers in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, when a client generally comes to us and they're trying to sell them on working with that individual partner, we actually end up becoming a benefit to have on that call. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's in, in our training, our team, and, and just how we do work is is a critical component of our success. Yeah, I mean, if I was a sales rep for one of those tech providers, and I was trying to convince somebody to buy my software package and all the licenses that come with it, I would bring you guys on that call because the the prospect is probably wondering, like, am I going to be able to pull this off? And then they meet you, and there's a great sense of comfort, and it gets them over their fear. Absolutely, all the time. Yeah, all the time. And and there's not very many of us who can do what we do. Mm. Uh, and so uh, they, when they when they get the opportunity to use us, they do. Yep. Okay, listeners, there's your habit. There's exactly how you have it. You want to create leverage in your business. You want to scale. You want to increase margins. Um, this is how you do it. I mean, this one example, and Noah probably's got 25 others, of this residency program is how leverage is built directly into the business. I mean, just think about the recruiting number. A thousand people apply for four spots. You know, we've got a lot of members in Collective 54 that their biggest problem is they don't have enough people. And, and here you are, you know, turning away, you know, hundreds of people. Uh, you don't have that problem. And that's what leverage is all about. And that's how you scale an organization. So, no, I could talk to you forever. I can't wait for the Friday Q&A okay. with the members. But uh, we got to cut it short here. But thanks for being here today and sharing a little bit of your story with us. You got it. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. Well, if you're not a member and you think you might want to be because you'll get a chance to meet folks like Noah and be in a community of real peers, um, go to collective54.com. You can fill out an application for membership and we'll take that seriously. If you're not quite ready to apply, but you want to consume some more content and educate yourself, again, collective54.com. Subscribe to um, C54 Insights. You'll get, uh, you get a weekly podcast like this one. You get a blog. You get access to our best-selling book. And you'll get some, um, some charts which visually represent some benchmarking data that I think you'll find interesting. So check that out. Okay, so uh, thanks for listening, and uh, I look forward to our next episode. Bye.